and welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts, Paul Samuda and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing and developing, they are here to share with you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme and Crew property market. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Essential Property Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Woodward, and today we're doing something very different, something we've never done before. And we're going to be sharing with you a live update along with a series of live updates of a development that we're working on. We're effectively going to blog our way through the development and keep our listeners updated with what's going on. So I have been speaking about this particular development with a few of our listeners who have said they would love to have updates throughout the project as to what's going on. So I thought this would be the best format. So today will be effectively episode one or blog one of the series, and we're calling it Project 1B. Whilst we're working on the name of the development, we're just going to refer to it as Project 1B. And I'm going to today for the next probably half an hour, just run through with you how we found this particular building the process from finding the building through to buying the building. And then in subsequent episodes or blogs going forward, we will keep you updated live as we go through the project. So I'm really quite excited about this. I think there's nothing better than talking through live deals and live experiences. And I hope you, our listeners, will one, enjoy it. You'll see the trials, the tribulations, the ups and downs of this business live, and hopefully take away some learnings from it to apply to your own projects. Or if nothing else, just have a giggle with us along the way as to how unpredictable it can be when investing in property. So Project 1B, it started September 2021. And it all started whilst Paul and I were driving on the A500. So those of you that know Stoke will know that the A500 is the main A road that cuts through the centre of the city. And we are driving back to Birmingham. And I see a red van in the lane next to me. and whilst I'm just kind of chit-chatting to Paul, Paul said to me, take a photo of that guy's van. Because on the on the side of the van, it was the name and contact details for an electrician. And we just happened to be needing a few more EICR reports doing. And we thought, great, we could just contact this guy and he will do a little bit of work for us. So I took a photo of his van. I think he saw me doing it as well. I thought no more of it. And then when I got home that evening, I gave him a call and said, hi, Lee, I've seen your details. And he said was that you and he remembered us taking the photo on the a500 and i said yes i was just taking your details can you please meet me on westminster street in crew so we can walk through and do an electrical condition report so cut a long story short we book that in we go to crew we do the condition report and we're just having a little bit of a chit chat afterwards outside the property and he's asking us about what we do and we said that we own a number of hmos in the area but we also have a hmo management agency and that we obviously need to do lots of safety reports for those properties so a little bit more business could be sent his way. He then said in passing, you wouldn't fancy buying a pub, would you? And to be honest with you, we weren't really into pubs. We hadn't bought a pub before. We never really liked sort of the architecture of pubs generally that we viewed in the past for development. And they even they always looked a bit pubby. That's the only way I can describe it, even post-development into flats or so on. So it was never really on our radar. But I thought, what the heck, let's you know find out a little bit more about it, build a relationship with this and who was doing a fantastic job. So he said, my mum is selling a pub and would you be interested? I said, let's go and have a look. So he gave me the details of the pub 
So I called the lovely lady who owned the property and organized a viewing. But after that meeting with the electrician, I was intrigued. So on my way home that day, I actually did a drive-by of the property. So I put in the postcode, put back onto the A500. I end up outside a beautiful, a stunning, stunning, beautiful pub, which was the pub that was for sale. And I was sort of overwhelmed with how stunning the architecture was. That's what bowled me over initially. So we have a beautiful building and I got a viewing there the next day. So I'm, you know, rather excited about about the viewing just by the look of the building. So we come back the next day, we meet the lovely lady who owns the property and we walk the building. And Paul and I did that initial viewing together. And we walked through the building and we were looking at each other thinking, this is fantastic. It's really big. We really, really like it. Now, to give you an idea, the ground floor is a very large pub, a large function room where they would hold parties and gatherings and so on, a full working kitchen serving the the pub and the function room, lots of toilets and and, and a few other little ancillary rooms. And then upstairs was a two-story 11-bedroom HMO. So for someone who has been in the HMO business for a while, to have a pub with a HMO above was quite rare, but also played perfectly into our strategy. So I'm walking around, I'm nudging Paul, thinking this is, you know, very, very interesting. Obviously, we're thinking that we can convert the downstairs into more rooms and have a very nice, large, beautiful building that can operate as a HMO. So now it's time to have a chat with the lovely lady who owned the property and start to get a feel for what she's looking to accept. Now, in these scenarios, when somebody's selling a building like this, often there is a reason behind it and you're trying to work out, you know, what is the situation with the person who's selling? Do they need to sell quickly? Maybe at a cheaper price? Do they need to sell not necessarily so quickly, but they need to achieve a certain higher price? So I had lots of chats and I think we probably had at least three or four separate meetings at the pub before we eventually pinned down the price and the terms, because both price and terms are different, but are equally important. The project was agreed. The purchase price was agreed. The terms were agreed. And within six days of viewing that property, we had agreed the price. We had gone to legals and we were starting the purchase uh, process. So pretty quick, we knew what we wanted. We had been looking for a development of this size. Now, to give you an idea, the building will be a 18-bedroom HMO. On completion. The rooms are anything from 15, 16 in the smallest up to like 25, 26 square meters per room. The ceilings are huge. We've got lovely sort of three meter or 3.5 meter ceilings that we're keeping. Fantastic features throughout the building. So it's big. It has a car park. It's got a little garden area. It's on a private road. And it really is a, a stunning building with a, with a lot of potential. So at that point, we then go to legal. 16th of September, we were at legals. And the terms with the seller were that we would exchange on the property ASAP. And then we would complete once planning had been agreed. Now, we all know that the traditional turnaround time for planning is around about 12 weeks from submission. But those that have done applications before know that's definitely not how it works. And post-COVID or kind of during COVID, I guess, 2021, we were still sort of coming out of the pandemic, it was an absolute nightmare at planning. So 20th of September, so four days after we start the legal process, our architect comes around and our architect does a measured plan of the building and starts to create the plans that will eventually be submitted to planning 
because we've already got an 11 bedroom HMO upstairs. All we want to do is get some permissions to be able to convert the pub and the function room to more rooms on the ground floor to give us our larger HMO. So Rob comes out, he walks through the building, he comes up with some ideas and plans on how we can get additional rooms into the building. And we end up with a plan. That plan needs to get submitted through to the planning departments. There's a whole bunch of forms that we need to fill in, proposals that we need to put forward, certain statements, et cetera, notices that we need to provide, and the plans go in. 12th of October, so we're still moving forward pretty quickly. We get our structural surveyor on site. He's there looking to make sure the building's not wobbling, not moving, not subsiding. We haven't got any dodgy walls, any chimneys that are leaning. And just making sure that the building is sound so that when we come in and we start to do some of our changes, that we're working with a sound building. So that's the start of it. Okay, so we're now the solicitors are doing their thing. We've now got planning application in the pipeline. The survey comes back. We're all good with the building. And we now have the battle, I guess, with planning. So we exchanged in December. So offer accepted in September. We actually physically exchange contracts in December. And we're exchanging contracts, one, to lock in the deal for ourselves to make sure that the seller does actually sell it to us. And two, to offer a level of confidence and security to the seller that we're not here messing around. You know, we put the deposit down, we've exchanged contracts, we're not pulling out. And as long as our planning permission comes through, that we're good to go. So we're thinking, okay, planning usually takes three months. Maybe it's going to take four or five months. But looking at my timeline here, we had planning approved 8th of August 2020. So give or take a month, it took us a whole year to go from viewing the property and negotiating the offer to getting planning accepted. Now, we'll just walk through with you some of the challenges that we had with planning. So our listeners can perhaps just learn a little bit if you're going to be doing something similar, or I guess just chuckle a little bit if you have already had the sort of battles that we went through with with Stoke-on-Trent City Council on this particular development. So the planning application is in, and after a couple of months, the planning department, it's not looking good. They don't like the scheme. They don't like the number of rooms, and it's becoming a little bit of an uphill battle. Now, Something else that caused some issues with planning initially was that when the application went in, we had what felt like half of Stoke-on-Trent, but the reality was a handful of local residents who were very anti the project. And I can understand where they were coming from because they don't know Paul and I, they don't know our business, they don't know our reputation, they don't know our developments. So their concern was that this building was going to be developed and it was going to not be a professional HMO for working people in the city and that it would be rented to those who were not working and a variety of other more vulnerable people, just like a few of the other larger buildings in the city. So the funny story, and I hope our residents will be able to look back and smile on this a little bit, is that we had so many negative comments on the planning application that we had to hold a neighbourhood meeting. And one particular lady was kind of steering or, or leading that process. And we agreed that we would meet with the local residents to hear their concerns and hopefully alleviate some of their concerns and tell them a little bit more about us and what we're doing and hopefully get them a little bit more on board with what we're doing at Project 1B. So bearing in mind, the development is on a private road. So there's only around about five houses on the road. So we thought maybe we'll see around about five or six people. But when we arrived for this neighborhood sort of meeting slash consultation, I think no exaggeration, there was probably at least about 25 people there, possibly more, certainly felt like more. And 
we were really in for a treat because we spent about an hour in this consultation and the residents were hurling abuse and were really, really not happy with what we were doing there. So, you know, that was quite upsetting for us because we were trying to communicate that we are presenting what's going to be a gorgeous stunning building we're bringing back a gorgeous building into use it's going to be you know we're spending a lot of money on the development it's going to look great but the residents could not see our vision and that's completely understandable completely understandable so we spent a bit of time with them explaining what we were doing i like to think you know looking back now we settled some of those concerns and shared our vision for the property and once it's complete our residents will be able to see you know, just how great it looks and that we have, I hope, added more value to the road rather than taking it away, which were some of the concerns of, of the neighbours. They were concerned about parking. They were concerned about smoking. They were concerned about a whole bunch of different things, all things that we are addressing through the development. So that was interesting. So we've got planning, not too sure what they want to do. The neighbours were pretty much anti it. And it's quite an emotional ride, I find, when you're applying for planning. And there's so many ups and downs because you really want it to go through. We've got other stakeholders involved in the project. We've got some investors that are backing us financially in the project. And, you know, you really, really want to get it across the line. And at some points, I remember looking at Paul and thinking, you know, I, I just don't know if we're going to be able to do this one. And as Paul's favorite phrase, he always says, Amanda, you have to keep the faith in the project it will come good but I was getting really sort of you know emotional about it and, and, and hoping that it would go through cut a long story short we had to have a lot of discussions with planning they raised a lot of issues and they wanted every single one of them overcome things like views from the rooms things like amenity space size of rooms size of communal space and we had to literally overcome every single hurdle that they raised to the point where they said okay you have you know, come up with a solution for every issue that we've raised and that we are going to recommend it for approval. At which point I'm just like exhausted with how much effort has gone into this. And there's some key people, particularly Rob, our architect, who were sort of by our side throughout the whole development. And we did also take some counsel from other people that we know that have done similar things before. We're just trying to garner as much you know, knowledge and experience to be able to present something forward to the council. But as I say, it took a year. So if you are thinking of also doing developments where planning is needed, we haven't done an application since this one. So I don't know if it's got quicker or not. I would probably expect not. So you really do have to bake this in. But just think about this. Our seller of this particular property has had to wait a year to get her money. So she's selling this building and we're saying to her, like, we're ready to go. The cash is in the bank. We're ready to exchange. We're ready to complete. But we just need the planning because our greatest fear would be that we would buy the building. Planning would not be approved. And then we would end up, yes, with a beautiful asset, but one that we can't work out how to make it income generating in the way that we wanted to. And we didn't want to do that. We didn't want to put our investors at risk with that. We're fairly risk adverse and we do like to do things in a process that keeps everybody secure. And our investors would only be secure if we knew that we had planning prior to, to purchase. So it was a big thing for us. And I had lots of meetings with our seller just to reassure her that everything was going through. Now, if you remember 2021, we were in a bit of a property boom. Prices were just you know going up daily. And she's locked in a price for a year, which is very, very admirable. She's stuck by her word. No doubt she probably would have had a whole bunch of other people trying to take that property off her and negotiate better prices. 
but she stuck by her word. She stuck by us. She entrusted in us that we would deliver what we said we would, and we did. It just took a little bit longer than, than we were hoping. So fast forward a year, we get the planning agreed. We have to keep extending our agreements with the seller because we have an exchange We've exchanged with a completion on planning, but we still need to work within a timescale. So we had a long stop date. We had to extend that long stop date. I think it was to finish end of June. We had to push it through to end of August because when planning was agreed 8th of August, we then completed on the sale on the 31st of August, which was the long stop date. We had to complete by that date. Otherwise, potentially we could have lost the deal. So it went right to the wire. So as you can imagine, it was quite stressful, but we certainly had a glass of fizz at the end of that and cheers to the last 12 months of sort of really focusing on getting this property across the line. But just have a think about this. We viewed the property. We priced the conversion work of the property in September 2021. We completed pretty much September 2022 Do we think that the price of the conversion has stayed the same? Absolutely not. So builder costs are increasing. We're now in a, you know, we're firmly in cost of living crisis. We're firmly in huge inflationary periods. And the price of the development is going through the roof. So what we had budgeted for the development, it went up by around about 40%. Our builder quote came in about 40% higher than we had expected from when we did the development. And the investors among us listening will realize that, you know, that, that that's a problem. You know, whether you have the money or not, the reason that you purchase a property is based on the numbers and our numbers have dramatically changed. So we had to then start to rethink, okay, if we've got to spend 40% more, does that mean that we need to increase our rental costs to ensure that our ROI and our investors' returns still stack up? Do we need to scale back the development and still bring it, bring something forward within the original costs? So that was a conversation that we had to have and some solutions that we had to work through to ensure that we can bring in the project on budget, also on time and delivering to ourselves, our investors, the sorts of returns that we expected when we originally agreed to buy it a year before. So that's just another challenge. And in property, there are so many challenges. Every day we're sort of fighting fires and trying to find solutions to problems. So the solution that we're working on at the moment is is effectively the budgeting for the development. So by the time we picked up the keys, we're now sort of mid-September, October. The original builder that we were going to give the keys to to kick off the build, obviously that can't happen now. His costs are 40% more expensive. We're you know not in a particularly great position to proceed with the refurb or the conversion. So we say, okay, we're coming towards the end of the year. Let's just take a moment to rethink our strategy and our plan. Before you know it, we're kind of in the middle of October and it didn't make sense starting anything this side of Christmas. So we thought we'd use the next two months, speak with our investors, look at the development, come up with a plan to start it and we'll kickstart it in the new year. Paul and I were away for a nice extended trip at Christmas. So we wanted to just chill, relax, finalize the project and get started in January. But as property never fails to deliver with unexpected surprises, we're 4,000 miles away, you know, celebrating the end of the year over the Christmas period. And we get a call to say that somebody is trying to break into the property. You know, just our luck. So a lovely neighbor opposite had 
got my number, gave us a call and said, there's a whole bunch of guys in balaclavas and they're trying to break into the property. This was probably 18 December, 19 December, something like that. So I'm panicking. Paul's sort of cool as a cucumber, as he always is, and thinking, what's going on? We're so far away. So the lovely neighbour actually took action and tried to chase away the, the the people trying to break in. She called the police. But, you know, the police are so incredibly busy at the moment. Believe it or not, they didn't even come to the property. And we then sent our team there that evening to kind of scope it out and see what was going on. So our team turned up. We just wanted to check the doors. Nothing had actually really happened. Looking back, we think it was potentially just a little bit of troublemakers or potentially people, you know, trying to get out of the cold into a building that maybe people knew was empty. So we sent our team down, scope out the place, check all the rooms. There was no damage. There was no real, there wasn't actually a break in. I think there was a few shoe prints on the front door, but that was about it. So, you know, fortunately, that wasn't so much of an issue. However, when they've gone in to scope out the building, what they have identified is a huge leak. And the water tank upstairs had leaked. Now, if you remember in December last year, it was absolutely freezing. I think we got down as low as minus 10 in Stoke. Some pipes have frozen, some pipes had burst, and we had a whole water tank basically drain down into the room below. It brought down the ceiling below, and it was a real mess. So again, 4,000 miles away, somebody's trying to break in. We've got a huge leak going on, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what a start to the project. But there we go. So note to self, when a building is empty, make sure that the water is drained down. We sort of capped the gas. We turned off the electrics. We turned off the water, but there was still some water in the pipes. And then the weather got cold. And I don't know. I guess we're always learning. And that was a little lesson to learn. Make sure we drain down the system, which we did once we were back. So that's the current status of Project 1B. Great building planning approved. We know what plans we're going to do. We just need to work on how we're going to bring that in on budget. So yeah, I hope you found that useful and an insight, I guess, as to what happens at the Essential Property Podcast on a day-to-day basis. And perhaps a reason that we didn't actually record too many episodes back end of last year, as we were just so focused on getting this project across the line. But Project 1B, it's ready to go. So we will keep you updated with these kind of little blog episodes of what's going on. I would love for you to be more interactive. So if you have questions about this particular project, please drop me a line. I will try to get some photos of the project out to our database. So if you are following the podcast, but you aren't registered with us for our mail shots, then if you go over to our website, essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk, there's a place where you can put your name and email address, drop those details over to us. You'll automatically join our mailing list. And don't worry, we send like, I don't know, six emails a year or something. There's certainly no spamming, but we will probably up that a little bit this year and send some photos of the development out so you can kind of really get a feel for what's happening this side up in Stoke-on-Trent. All right, until next time, guys, keep property investing. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if so, please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too. To get in touch with Paul and Amanda directly, please visit their website www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information. We look forward to sharing with you on the next episode.